Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Him and ask the Lord to guide him and encourage him. And I just pray the Lord speaks to you through this message this morning. So let me pray for you, Jeremy. Father, we thank you for your word. It's truth. Lord, it uh, is foundational to our lives. And I pray right now, Father, as we open the truth of your word, that you just speak very clearly to us. I pray you speak to Jeremy. I pray you'd remove um, what you don't want him to say and just fill his mind and his heart with the things that are important for us to hear. Father, I pray the Spirit would work in our hearts this morning, would speak to us through your word. And Father, we pray through uh, the power of the Spirit that through this teaching we would be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Thank you. <clears throat> well, good morning. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Good morning. Today I want us to, to look at Acts chapter 2. So you can go ahead and make your way to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look specifically at verses... 42 through 47. So let me read that for us. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Meditating on that verse and praying for you and thinking what Rosemont can be has been heavy. Not in, in a bad way, but in a, in a good way. Because we, we, as, we as Baptists, we, we love the book of Acts. We, we might tiptoe through the, the parts about speaking in tongues. But we, we love it because it is the continued work of Jesus saving the lost, of His kingdom going forth. We see the Holy Spirit empowering the disciples to obediently live out the Great Commission. It's three decades of church expansion, expansion from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's the awe-inspiring work of God. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit. His indwelling in the lives of the believers, empowering them. It's powerful preaching, miracles, thousands of people coming to faith. Jailbreaks, narrow escapes, shipwrecks, persecution, and people giving their lives for the Gospel. 
And we love it, and we read it, and and when we read it, we oftentimes talk about stories of great missionaries who have given their lives for the Gospel. We read their quotes, like that from William Carey, the father of modern missions, who said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Or Jim Elliott, who was martyred with four friends in 1950, who said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Or C.T. Studd. Adam talked about him a few months ago. Best missionary name ever. He said, Some wish to live within the sound of chapel bells, but I wish to run a rescue mission within a yard of hell. And every December, we remember Lottie Moon, who who we take up our offering in her name, and she wrote back home and said, How many million more souls are to pass into eternity without having heard the name of Jesus? And we read quotes like these, and, and we wave our banners high, but I'm just curious, do we believe that God can work in our lives just like He did in the, in the early church? Do we believe in His power to change the world in such a way that as we read in Acts 17, they said that they are flipping the world upside down? Or do we just say, Acts is great history? It's great for us to read, but, but, but that was then and, and now it, it's different. But we read the, li- the stories of the lives of those missionaries and we think that's, that's great. That was their calling. And so we, we shake our pom-pom, but we don't think God can work in our lives in that same kind of way. My prayer is that that's not true at Rosemont because that's not what I believe. That's not what the pastoral staff here believes. And honestly, I believe that that's not what you believe because I believe that Rosemont is a church that wants to live to fulfill the Great Commission. And please understand, when I say church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm not, I'm not doing the, the cute children's thing where it says, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the, door, open the doors and there's all the people. It's not a building It's you and me. It's life on life. It's us together living for the glory of God. It's a people redeemed for His glory. It is us who have been adopted as sons and daughters, committing our lives to do whatever it takes for the sake of Christ. It is you and I living in community together. And I believe that this is a church that doesn't just want to clock in and clock out. We don't want to just stick to business as usual, check off boxes. But we want to obediently live out the Great Commission. And that's the reason I love serving here. So today we're going to look at a church that I believe displays a pure devotion to Christ, to one another, to others. And I believe it is a pure devotion that we should long for as a church. But before we, we look at this, let's, let's just do a recap of what's going on in the book of Acts. In, in Acts chapter 1, we see that this is after the resurrection of Jesus. And He's appearing to His disciples over a period of 40 days, and it says that He's teaching them about the kingdom of God. And He tells them... Stay in Jerusalem 
and wait for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. Now we may breeze through that, but if you realize what just happened 40 days prior in Jerusalem, Christ is crucified. It's not the most welcoming place for followers of Jesus. And He says, wait here. And they say, well, well, well Christ, at, at this time, are you, you going to establish the kingdom? Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Acts chapter 1, verse 6. And He says, that's not for you to know. Surely this is some great military revolution. Surely the kingdom is going to be established. And He says, not at this time, and it's not for you to know, but, Acts 1, 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, don't, don't breeze through that. Jerusalem was where they crucified Christ. So he says, stay, and you're going to proclaim the gospel in a place where they hate you. And then it's going to go to Judea and then Samaria. What is Samaria? That's the people that the Jews hated. So first the gospel is going to go to the people that you hate, I mean that hate you. Then it's going to go to the people that you hate. And not only that, it's going to go to places that you don't even know about. And then he's gone in a cloud. It's kind of comical if you think about it. He gives this big charge and then he's gone. And what do they do? They just stare. They're just, what? what, What's going on? And God in His mercy sends two angels to say, okay, okay, fellas, move along. Because they they probably would have just died staring. If it had rained, they'd have drowned. But if you think about it, the seriousness and the heaviness of what Christ is calling them to do, the, the fear that must have existed in their hearts... It must have pushed them to do something to completely be completely dependent on God. And we see that in Acts 1, verse 14. It says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. They get this commission. And what is their response? They pray. And they have a a ten-day prayer meeting. And on Pentecost, the Spirit falls, and they're filled. And they begin to, as it says in Acts chapter 2, proclaim the mighty works of God in tongues that they did not know. Because remember, this is Pentecost. So people have come to Jerusalem from all over the world. And all of a sudden, there's this mighty rushing wind and there's these men, these these Galilean simpletons who are proclaiming the mighty works of God in their native language. And they're confused and they say, surely these men are drunk. But then Peter... Peter who quickly denied Jesus as he was going to the cross 
now stands up a different man. And he says, we're not drunk. In fact, this has all been prophesied or foretold by the prophets. And this Jesus, the one who you saw do all these mighty works, here, the one that you crucified, which was actually in the plan of God, His perfect sovereign plan has been resurrected, and He is Lord and Savior, period. And the, the people are convicted as, Pe as Peter preaches. And they say, what should we do? And in Acts chapter 138, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And on that day, 3,000 people, don't read it simply, 3,000 people give their life to Christ and are baptized. We have a hard enough time handling three baptisms here. They're baptizing 3,000 people. It's an instant megachurch. And there's 3,000 and 120 who have a little bit of experience with the things of Jesus, but in reality it's all new for them. So how do they deal with this? They committed to follow Jesus together. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, we're going to see five characteristics of this early fellowship. The first characteristic is that they were constantly devoted. It says, and they devoted themselves. That, that term devoted means a steadfast, single-minded loyalty to a certain course of action. It means keeping on with, to continue to do something with intense effort, to be steadfastly attentive to. For me, it was, it was helpful to see this term used in, in another passage of Scripture. And it's in Romans 13.6. And Paul's instructing the church that they are to submit to the authorities that God has placed over them. And he tells them, you should be paying your taxes. Acts chapter 13, verse 6. It says, For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to, that is, devoting themselves to this very thing. We're to be as persistent in our worship as the IRS is about getting our tax returns and us paying our taxes. Or maybe a little better illustration. It, it may be a surprise to you. I might not be too devoted to fitness. Hey, hold on. <laughs> Don't laugh so quick. I know that may be a surprise to you, but I'm just not devoted to fitness. And you could, you could measure that. I guess I could tell you, yes, I'm devoted to fitness, but you could measure that by looking at the time and effort that I put into it. And I could sit there and I could say, you know, fitness, personal fitness, it's so important. Amen. Hallelujah. Love it. I'm going to do P90X. I'm going to do Insanity. I'm going to be like you crazy CrossFit people and go do what you do. Because y'all are devoted. <laughs> I could talk about it. 
I could plan it out. I could, I could write down that six times a day I'm going to work out. But the reality is, in my life, the time and effort that I put into it shows that I'm not very devoted to it. And that it will not have an impact on my life until I'm devoted to it. And sometimes today when people talk about discipleship and ministry, they, they say, well, well, people today, they're just not devoted, they're not committed, they just want to go to their homes and, and sit inside their homes and be to themselves. I don't think that's true. I think we're plenty devoted. I just think we're devoted to the wrong things. I think if we looked at our time and our effort that we put into the things in our lives, we can see what we're truly devoted to. And this church, this church in Acts 2, is devoted to what? The Apostles' teaching. In this devotion to the Apostles' teaching, we see the fulfillment of Jesus' promise that the Holy Spirit would give the Apostles understanding and remembrance of Jesus' teaching. John 14.26 Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I have said to you. This is a fulfillment of Jesus' promise that the Holy Spirit would enable the apostles to be the teachers and the disseminators of the Word of God. So these people devoted themselves to these teaching as God's truth, as His Word. Tim Keller said, For a church to honor the truth does not just mean people flock to hear the great teacher. Nor does it mean that the people of the church just run by their Bibles in the morning for five minutes and just expect inspiration to jump out. Rather, it says that the people of the church like this are devoted to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves, they they dug in, they spent time with, they reflected, they thought, they meditated, they wrestled. And I just wonder if, if these early believers were to walk in and see us, would they see a people devoted to the Word of God? Would they stand in amazement that we walk around with God's inerrant, inspired Word in our hands? On our phones, we can, we can listen to it anytime we want. We can read it anytime we want. But the truth is, does our time and our effort put into it show that we are devoted to the Word of God? Wayne Grudem said, So closely are the growth and strength of the church linked to the reign of the Word of God and the people's lives that more than once in the book of Acts we see the growth of the church as the growth of the Word of God. Acts 6, 7 says, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Acts 12, 24, But the word of God grew and multiplied. Acts 13, 49, And the word of the Lord spread throughout the region. Throughout history, true Christianity has flourished only in proportion to the degree degree to which the Bible is known and its truth Truths are diffused among the people. There are no evidences of salvation or sanctification to be found where the Word of God is not known. The nations where the Bible is unknown sit in darkness. So are we a people devoted to the Word? Because that's our desire, is to be a people who devote ourselves to God's Word. 
Not only were they devoted to the apostles' teaching, but then it says that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. They constantly devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now believe it or not, the word fellowship in Greek does not mean a Baptist potluck. In fact, this word is koinonia, and what it means is a joint partnership, a sharing in life together, a common contribution. It's much more than than social interaction. It's much more than social norms. But this goes to the very heart of God who has united us together as the body of Christ as one. Who has made us His one bride. Now I was raised in the South and there's one thing that I knew better than to do and that was to talk about another man's bride. If somebody were to walk up to me and they said, Jeremy, we love that you're here at Rosemont. It's great. But Jamie, she just gets on my nerves. At that point, you and I are probably going to have a problem. But how much do we do that to the church? Christ's bride. Yes, Jesus, I want to raise my hands and sing. Yes, Jesus, I, I love this salvation. But I don't know about these people to my right and my left. What do you think that does to the, the heart of Christ? There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. If you want to examine your life and your de- devotion to the fellowship, to your living life with this body of believers, just read the one another verses of Scripture And if you can't come up with times when you've done this, it's probably a challenge that you might need to consider your devotion to the fellowship. John 13, wash one another's feet. Love one another. Romans 12, outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. Romans 15, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6. 1 Thessalonians 5. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Hebrews 10, which we oftentimes quote, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as the day draws near. Are we a people devoted to fellowship because that's our desire? We can't live this life alone. We're not made to live this life alone. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his famous work called Life Together said, a person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. How are you loving the church? How are you fellowshipping with the church? How are you plugged into this body of faith, this bride of Christ? How are we living life together? How are we obeying the one another verses? So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and then we see in 42, the breaking of bread. Now commentators are divided. If this is the communion, which we're going to celebrate 
celebration, the Lord's Supper, if this is just a a common meal. And I think in this passage we can see that it's actually both. Because in the context, it only makes sense that their devotion to the Word of God and to fellowship and the breaking of bread had to do with their very identity in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. A remembrance of His body and blood broken for them. In 1 Corinthians 11, which we'll read later, it tells us that we are to commemorate the Lord's death. That we are to take the bread, give thanks, and remember His body that was broken. Take the cup and remember the new covenant of His blood. We do all of this in remembrance of Him, examining ourselves. This act of fellowship with one another through the body and blood of Christ was the very foundation of their faith, which is the gospel. And in taking communion, we remember Christ's death. But not only that, we remember our unity as the body. 1 Corinthians 10 says, Because there is one bread, he who, we who are many are one body. For we are all partakers of the one bread. We remember our unity. And we also have to remember that at this time, this was a unique situation. Pilgrims have come to, come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And there were many people who were saved who weren't from there. But they want to stay and they want to be grounded in their faith. So they needed hospitality. They needed people to meet their needs. They needed the community of God. How much do we need one another? Are we desperate to have fellowship and communion because our very life depends on it? And then we see in Acts 2, 44-46, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. So they were constantly devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were constantly devoted to the fellowship. They were constantly devoted to the breaking of bread. And they were constantly devoted to prayer. Jesus tells them that they're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And they need to wait. What's their response? Ten-day prayer meeting. We might say, well, let's think about how do we build our teams? What's our points of engagement? What are we going to do to take this message? How are we going to promote it? What committees need to be formed? What did they do? They prayed. They prayed in desperation because they knew they needed God to do this. In 1857, Jeremiah Lamphere, a businessman, was burdened about New York City and the spiritual state of that city. And he sat in a, in a, in a church and he prayed, Lord, what would you have me to do? And the Lord led him to start a prayer meeting one day a week for one hour during lunch with the businessmen who were idle because the stock market was about to crash and they had no business. So he thought, well, we'll start there. And he worked for weeks, passed out 20,000 invitations. On September 23rd, 1857, he launched that prayer meeting 
And he entered that church and he sat there and at 12 o'clock, he was the only person there. Ten minutes went by, nobody. Twenty minutes, nobody. Thirty minutes, one person shows up. By the end of the meeting, there were six. But they committed to meet the next week. Well, the next week, there were twenty. The next week, there were forty. And on that week, they decided they were going to make this daily. And that's the week the stock market crashed and people lost everything. Three months later, they were meeting on all three floors of the old Dutch Reformed Church, packed out every day for prayer. Six months later, 10,000 were gathering daily in New York City. Meetings were started in Pittsburgh, Chicago, Philadelphia, all over the U.S. Nine months later, 50,000 people in New York City had trusted in Christ. There are some newspaper reports of entire towns in New England where there was not a single lost person. It was estimated that for a a period of months during this great revival, 10,000 people a week in in New York City alone were accepting Christ. 50,000 weekly across America. It's estimated that by through this whole movement, one million people accepted Christ. One man with a burden to pray. 120 people submitted and praying, and God moved. Great. What about us? Are we going to go into Easter and say that, man, we got this. We know how to have services at Troop High. Are we going to walk out into the breezeway and sign up because Saturday we're going to walk this campus and we're going to plead with God, please, please draw people to yourself. And we're going to sign up for Sunday and have a 30-minute slot or an hour slot either before or during both services because we're pleading and desperate for God to move. Nobody in this church was saying, we got this. They said, you've got to take this. So they were a constantly devoted church. Then we see in, in verse 43... That they were a captivated church. They were captivated by the work of God. It says, And all came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. When the people of God submit to the authority of God, and He moves, the only response is awe at His grace and His mercy. Then, in verse 44, So we've seen that they were constantly devoted. They were captivated by the work of God. Number three, verse 44, they were compassionate in their generosity. Acts 2, 44 says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributed their proceeds as any had need. They provided for one another in the midst of God's great work. And that's what we want to be here. 
It's an outworking of our faith in the gospel because God has ultimately been the most generous to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That He sent His Son to us, children of wrath. And so I can't give up a TV so that somebody might have food. I can't make a small sacrifice in my possessions, so that somebody might be able to be founded in the gospel, to this people it would have been a ludicrous thought because they were compassionate in their generosity. They were also committed to gathering together. It said, "...and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts." That term generous hearts means like without stone. Smooth. And I wonder how many of us sometimes have to be dragged into church like we're walking on gravel in bare feet. Or do we come in in the grace and mercy of God excited to be committed to gather together? And it says what? They met in large groups and they met in small groups. And that's what we seek to do in discipleship here. Small groups, large groups. 3,000 people. It's okay for us to grow because we'll still have life and fellowship intimately in homes throughout this city or in classes here on Sunday or on Wednesday nights. We'll be committed to gathering together. And finally, they were contagious in their faith. It says that they were praising God and having favor with all people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It was the Lord and the Lord alone who added to their number. Amen. Nobody was saying, man, I'm clever. I got this figured out. I can make people show up at this church. Because if we do that, they'll be our converts. But if we submit to the power of God, at work and through our lives, by the power of the Holy Spirit, committing ourselves, not dumbing ourselves down, but devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. God can do a great work. And we can get out of the way. But I don't want you to hear this as a moralistic sermon, like it's time for us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And to do our best to do, oh, be obedient. Because guess what? We cannot be obedient. We are in desperate need of God and His work in our lives. The contagious nature of our faith, our commitment to this community, our generosity, our awe at the work of God is an outworking of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Our lives as a church, our devotion to the Word, our fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers is all a work of grace. So don't pull yourselves up by your bootstraps, but throw yourselves at the mercy of God. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you've never put your faith in Christ, today's the day. Because it says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And as our praise team makes their way, listen to God. 
Is He calling you to throw yourselves on His his mercy and to be a people devoted by His power? Is He calling you to surrender to the salvation that is available through Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone? Can you hear Him at work? Can you hear Him calling you? Can you hear the call that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, you can't buy it, of eternal life is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as we... And if you're desperate for that, you can come here and pray. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, today is the day of salvation. Give your life to Him. Repent and be baptized in His name. So as you feel led to pray, please come. If you need to receive Christ, Adam and I are here to talk with you. Let this be a day of transformation by the power of God. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.